How far did he get this time? He made it all the way to the records room before we got to him. He found his information. He wants to go home. <laughs> Dr. Fields, what the hell is happening? I tried to subdue him with ECT, but the electroshock had no effect on him. Then all the machines started going crazy. It was like he was drinking the electricity and controlling our machines. <laughs> Strap him into the chair. You've been a bad, bad boy, Gabriel. He's broadcasting his thoughts. I thought we could help him, but I was wrong. It's time we cut out the cancer. Welcome back to the Halloween Horrorthon, and welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things horror to the full effect. I'm Ed, and with me is my childhood brother and sometimes imaginary friend, Corey. What's up, Film Effectors? <laughs> and if you happen to be a fellow cinephile like us, or just a casual fan of film in general, then you're at the right spot. We're a weekly podcast that do deep dives and touch lives with each and every single episode, focusing on a particular film each week in an effort to give it the full film effect treatment. But before this killer tumor awakens from the back of my skull and wreaks havoc, I want to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms, direct link in the episode notes. Speaking of platforms, you can help the show tremendously by using Apple Podcasts, 
to leave us an honest rating and review when the episode ends. It helps us grow and it also makes you eligible for a 4K digital copy of the thing that we're giving away to a lucky fan on October 21st. Alright, Corey, uh, can you, uh, handle the mantle this week and share our Facebook and Instagram handle with our fellow horror heads? Uh, is it an at Film Effect Pod? Close. The Film Effect Podcast. Darn. <laughs> so close. What if they want to find us and join the Twitter party that goes on and on and on? What's that handle? Ah, at Film Effect Pod. There you go. Woohoo! And how about that email address for our old-fashioned audience? Uh, is it Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com? The Film Effect Podcast ah, at gmail.com. That's all right. Sean will have your ass later. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, this is like day five for me in the books at work. My little marathon going on because we got, I don't know if I explained to the audience, but we have uh, inventory next week and it comes once a year. And yeah, it's this coming Tuesday. So this previous week's has been all hands on deck. Like I'm, I was actually supposed to be at Burleson's birthday party right now, but I just couldn't switch because it was just impossible to get out of. Because normally I'm off on Saturdays, but they gave me a heads up about a month ago that I'd be working this particular weekend, like all weekend, and I've pretty much been doing an eight day stretch, you know. But thankfully, the, the finish line is Tuesday. Tuesday and Wednesday I have off finally and then the following week my schedule goes back Saturdays and Mondays off so inventory always sucks it's grueling dude <laughs> I mean you can relate I mean you you know how inventory is at like retail and shit it's, it's not fun nah you know and the fact that you know the company that I work for does it once a year it's like an event not a good one either cause like you just gotta like make sure everything's organized and ready to be counted cause we have an outside team that comes in and does all the accounting for us overnight or during the day I'm sorry and it's not like we can close the doors the public's there they're pretty much right behind us just everything that we're sorting out they're just putting their hands on and disorganizing right behind us it's it's just it sucks you know all, yeah. the, all the hard work that we do is pretty much for nothing seems like it's on purpose sometimes <laughs> even though it's not <laughs> yeah if it's the right you know it, it depends on the the, the the age range the age range you know because sometimes you get them punk ass teenagers who just want to you know i get it you know looking back at that age now being in my <clears throat> mid-30s it's i remember being a teen anyway old man yellow over here um so as like i showed you i got my halloween costume tonight i'm gonna be sam from trick-or-treat and I got a uh, the ghost mask, ghost mask, ghost face mask from Scream. <laughs> I mean, it was five bucks, you know, and it's something that I can just, it's a prop, if anything. Because, you know, look behind you, I got that little jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. I'm just in a horror spirit, baby. I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. It really is. October's here. Yep. <clears throat> Ready to roll. I love it. I love doing all this and Jesus. Ah, man. Um, You know, and speaking of, like I was telling you earlier before we recorded you know got camping coming up in two weeks and it got me thinking earlier how we used to go camping oh yeah with our, you know your your parents and my grandparents and all every Halloween yeah it was fun and this is like I went last year with my buddy Brian he was yet to be on the show one of these days we'll get him on here but uh he asked me to go with him we go for five days we leave Wednesday, we leave Wednesday morning get up there and set up and then we don't come back till like Sunday evening so, cause we go up to Gettysburg, 
Gettysburg, PA, which is about an hour north of where we are, for those uh, listening. Yeah, I miss the, the old days at the campground. Like, they had the cool haunted house. And, yeah, they have one, too. It's like a barn that we walk through. It's it's whatever, you know. But it's yeah. it's still... It's still fun. You anything know, Halloween themed, I'm, I'm there. You yeah, know? they put it on. It's not the best, you know, It's kind, of, but it's still fun. It's fun, exactly. And it's like, that's. I just love that spirit. I love camping. Uh, I just, you know, getting up early and walking around the campground, taking in that, you know, the... the, the campfire smoke that's you know that early that that time when the, the the campfires are just starting to go out and you get that lingering smell of the smoke you got the crisp air right now oh yeah it's great i can't wait for it all right let's do some shout outs shout out to his family basically i want to shout out everyone who carries the 31 nights of halloween tradition like here's to a fun october time that you know, this the, the people that you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people that participate in like 31 nights of Halloween. It's it's one night of, of, out of the month every night. They watch a different horror movie, and usually now the, the golden age of social media, we're just sharing our posts and, and doing little mini reviews and talking about it. And other people other people share theirs. And and I've noticed a lot of my friends are are starting to start you know to do it on Facebook and. uh I just wanted to do something different. I just wanted to give them a shout out, you know, something different for a change. Um, you know, I, I started doing it myself last night, the first malignant tonight, the second, well, I'm slacking. Maybe I'll throw in something before I go to bed. Yeah, after, after we're a little busy tonight. After yeah. we're recording, uh, after we're done recording, maybe I'll throw something on. Who knows? So yeah, shout out to you guys. Uh, we're currently charting in the U.S. and Canada. We're currently number one ninety three in the uh, top two hundred of uh, movie reviews for Apple up in Canada. So thanks to you listeners up there. Thanks, uh, <laughs> and um, Thailand, Romania, and currently number one twenty five in Japan. So thank you to all those regions. Speaking of regions, we have a brand new region this week. Shout out to our new listeners from the Czech Republic. Thank you so much. Welcome to the party, pal. Alright, it's current events. So, I'm going to get, I don't know, a little dramatic slash political slash whatever but it's something that i feel we i'd be remiss if i didn't mention on here it's been something that's been going on around the country at least uh in the u.s for the better part of like two to three weeks now and that is the uh disappearance um of gabby um petito who um was unfortunately discovered her body was found last week and i just wanted to mention it um and and just say here's to a quick capture to that bastard you know brian laundry who's on the run all signs points you know i know i'll hold the whole innocent until proven guilty and shit like that but come on are you yeah. following this you know what i'm talking about i'm not following it too hard but i mean obviously i've heard about it it's it, everywhere exactly and i mean yeah it, it like you said he's not guilty but uh yeah. Come on you're, now. You're looking pretty bad. <laughs> exactly. You know, and now you're MIA. You've even got Dog the Bounty Hunter coming after your ass. Not only that, but I'm reading that he actually added 10 grand to the already huge, like the massive, like the reward for this guy right now is up to 170 grand. 
170 grand just to turn Jeez. this guy in and dog the bounty hunter's like here's 10 you know it's <laughs> it's it's it's, it's something Some you know a and e money right here <laughs> exactly um but no it's just it's such a fucked up tragic thing i don't understand why shit like this has to happen but i don't uh, either that, that guy's just an idiot <laughs> yeah it's that's that's putting it mildly but yeah so um Rest in peace, Gabby. And uh, yeah, like I said, here's to a, a quick turnaround. Get that fucker. Willie recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? I'm going to go ahead and recommend a film that has ties to this film that we're talking about soon. Um, where are you out on Basket Case? So I haven't seen it in a long time, but I just picked up uh, like a few months ago as a special edition. I don't know what company it was, but it was special Arrow. edition Blu-ray Arrow. Arrow I picked it up. It I haven't watched it yet. I've seen it, and I yeah, I definitely draw a lot of comparisons between Basket Case and uh, what we're talking about today. But I want to rewatch it because I yeah, probably haven't seen it in about ten or fifteen years. You you should, and if you ever get the chance, check out the sequels. Um, I have not seen any of the sequels. Yeah, now. it's it's something. But uh, yeah, dude, uh, that's it, it's it's the perfect. You know, I I personally haven't watched it, and it's been about two years, maybe three. Uh, but yeah, I. I'd be a fool if I didn't recommend that. You know, it, it ties into this film perfectly. And there's other comparisons too, which I'm going to get into once we start talking about the film and the conversation gets cooking. So how about you in the meantime? All right. Uh, so mine's a little different because uh, you would think horror related. We're in Halloween. Uh, but it was a documentary I just recently watched. So um, I don't know Ed, if you follow the um, Elizabeth Holmes trial that's going on right now from um, she was involved in the Theranos company. A few years back. No, I'm completely in the dark. Yeah, so it's just a crazy story. So HBO put out a documentary maybe a year or two ago. It's called Inventor, The Inventor Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about this um, woman, Elizabeth Holmes, who started a company um, when she was in her early 20s called Theranos. Okay. And they were going to essentially revolutionize the way blood testing was done. Uh, So right now you have to go to a lab. You have to give tons of blood. It's really expensive. Uh, they were going to revolutionize everything. They were going to take like one little drop of blood and put it into this machine the size of a copier. Hmm. And it was going to be done really fast and mm-hmm. really cheap. And you could go to like any pharmacy and get your blood tested, get done whatever you wanted. Okay. And turns out it was all a scam. They never had any kind of machine that was working. Why am I not surprised? Uh, uh, this woman, Elizabeth Holmes, just scammed billions of dollars. Now that you mention the word scam, I vaguely remember this. Because um, actually, while you're talking about it, I'm, I'm looking her up and I'm like, why have I never heard this broad's name before? But um, why have I never heard her name before? And and I don't know. It's... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so just, you got a, there's a documentary on HBO. Yeah, it covers of the whole there thing. Is. So you know she's a Ivy League um, dropout. Um, so they talk to like oh, people. Wonderful. Yeah, they talk to people that went to school with her. Uh-huh. Her teachers. They go back to the beginning of the company, and I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's very noble what they're trying to do. And they actually were trying to build the machines, but basically the technology. It was never there and they would hide it and mislead. They would bring investors in and like pretend like they were putting blood samples in the machine. And then as soon as the people walked out, they would like take the blood samples out and then take them to another machine that actually worked. It was just crazy. They gave people wrong um, 
results. There was a woman that thought she was pregnant, got a test, and then told her she wasn't pregnant when she really was pregnant. It's just like crazy stuff because they did a test market in Arizona uh, with Walgreens. And it's just crazy, the stuff that <laughs> you course. hear about. Right. Um, Walgreens put billions in. I mean, she was like the youngest billionaire at one point. Uh, it's just crazy how she was able to, you know, just basically con all these people. And it's just insane. Like anybody, you don't have to know anything about it going in. It's just, a, it's it's a good sit. And it, it's just really crazy, the whole story with Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, right now she's on trial. Uh, for you know fraud essentially um so we'll see the trials been pushed back years and years so we'll see you know if she ends up getting jail time all right you've been a bad bad boy gabriel this is james wines malignant was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Stop saying that. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. again. He's getting closer. He wants to talk to you. Mom, what do you know? He's coming for me. Malignant is about a woman named Madison who is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these are waking dreams that are in fact terrifying realities. Alright, so story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. 
That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. All right, so obviously there's no first time viewing for this one because it's it's a fresh release. We both just saw it a couple weeks ago. Nothing really out there to talk about. Hey, Corey, yeah. first time. Two weeks ago on my couch for HBO Max. Same year. And that's that would be that category. So anyway, we're just going to skip past that. So like you, and I'm, I'd imagine a lot of people listening because believe me, no one showed up in the theaters for this one. No. <laughs> um. I watched it obviously the morning that it came out that Friday morning. We were texting about it. I remember the yeah, next day right. or something. And then I actually went. I was so taken back by this film because it completely went left when I thought it was going to go right, and just I wasn't expecting this. I honestly went into this movie blind, not really knowing. I, I'd seen trailers, but the trailers were vague. Didn't well, really tell. It, it, it kind of pointed towards one direction, but there was. It wasn't. So anyway, how do you promote this movie? Really, I, I know. Mean, how do you promote it? Yeah, you really, exactly. Um, at the end of the day, how do you promote this kind of movie? But anywho, um, I went and saw it in the theater. Um, because I have that movie pass, so of course it's just waiting for me to come, and I did. I just went and um checked it out, and I that I don't think I told you this. Maybe I did, but. I was the only person because I went that Monday afternoon and I was the only person there Monday at four o'clock uh, that that showtime after it came out. The only I actually took a picture during the um, you, you, there's a big the, the picture has like carnage doing this because I was watched. I took the picture in the middle of the Venom trailer. But yeah, it's just me and up. I was expecting someone to come in like during the credits or during before it started, like one person, not a soul, just me. At one point, I went out real quick to uh, uh, attend to a phone call. When I came back a couple minutes later, instead of sitting in the back uh, row where I had my assigned seat, I just went and plopped directly in the middle of the theater to by myself. It was just, it was a cool experience, me watching the rest of this film front and center solo. I thought you were going to say, like, they shut the theater off or something, like you left, and they're like, there's nobody in here, just shut it off. Shut this film down. No, no, not at all. Um... All right, so live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No... All right, so for this one, I asked... For I asked you to give me top five imaginary friends in film. So top five movie imaginary friends, basically. Um, so the way we always work, round robin style, I will begin. My number five is Frank from Donnie Darko. Good one. All right. What about you? Yep. Uh, so my number five is Tony from The Shining. Okay. More on that. Hold that thought. My number four is Captain Howdy from The Exorcist. <laughs> so, uh, my number four is a little more out there, but um, all the monsters from where the wild things are. Just because okay. that's all his imaginary friends. I like it. That's unique. I, that's different. I, I, I love that kind of uh, mentality. My number three is Bagul from Sinister. You know, I was this close to putting him on there, uh, but I didn't. <laughs> you I kind of figured you were, so I was like, I'll leave it off. But uh, my number three is Bing Bong from Inside Out. 
because that was my favorite part of that movie. Okay. It, it hit me right in the feels with that part. So it's okay. Good. My number two is Jody from the Amityville Horror remake. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Oh, dude, she's creepy. She really is. Yeah, it works sure. in that movie. Uh, my number two is Hitler from Jojo Rabbit. Nice. I was nice. I was surprised by that movie. It actually had a really good message, and yeah, it it was it was a really nice movie. Uh, for the record, I'm a big Jojo Rabbit fan. In fact, I had the the four the, the disc in my hand today. I almost bought it for like twelve ninety nine at Best Buy, but I was like, no, it'll be here when I'm really ready for it. Because I'm not ready to watch it again. I, I, that's the kind of movie I like. I've seen it twice. I want to let it settle for a little bit and then watch it again. For so. sure, yeah. My number one, not Tony, but Lloyd from The Shining. White man's bourbon, Lloyd, my man. White man's bourbon. Yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, I thought about that too. That's a good one. Shining, one of my favorite uh, horror movies. Oh yeah, me, mine too. Jack Nicholson, probably one of the best performances you'll see in a horror movie. Oh, without a doubt. Um, all right, so my number one is Tyler Durden, Fight Club. Nice, nice. See, clearly I went the whole horror route. Um, you were spawned out, which is, uh, I like it. Um, Tyler Durden, good one, good one. I mean, it makes sense because, you know, every movie that we see that have like a twist ending where it's like there's the hidden, if the main character was like the person, whatever, the whole time. Yeah. We, we call that a fight club ending. We, you know, right. it's, it's, you know, it's what started it all, in my opinion. And I almost put him on there. I don't remember his character's name, but Bruce Willis from Sixth Sense. I was like, eh, is he really imaginary or is he just a ghost? True. I didn't know. So True. I left him off. Nice. Okay. Right. Ready to jump into this plot. Talk about this film for a little bit. A little bit of time. Um, let's do this. Let's go. So the film starts with a shot of a massive waterfront institute called Simeon Research Hospital, and it's set in 1993. Um, immediately here, I'm reminded of the house from House of Haunted Hill. I literally wrote that later when um, the <laughs> sister is driving to the place when it's abandoned. I was waiting for like Vincent Price to pop out or uh, Jeffrey Rush or something Jeffrey Rush, like that. exactly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's he say in that movie when the roller coaster bit? He's like, "You ever been on a roller coaster that starts from the top, two hundred feet of top, something like that?" Yeah, the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, the Hulk coaster. Uh, so then we're introduced to Doctor Florence Weaver, who is talking to a video camera, telling us how Gabriel is getting stronger and becoming difficult to contain with his current growth rate. The lights start to flicker, and she's told that Gabriel's he got out again. So, right away, this movie just, it, it starts off in, in, like, high drive, and uh, we see, uh, sure. he's, he, we're told that he's in the record room, absorbing electricity, wanting to go home, uh, the one doctor is telling Weaver as she's trying to get through his room, or wherever he is, that, like, they try to let you know, uh, shock therapy, but it didn't work, it only made him stronger, that's how, in my opinion, he got the whole 
communication thing through the radio. I know that's a big question through, everybody has. Through that. But yeah. they kind of tell you if, you, if you listen close enough, the doctor tells them, you know, I gave him electric shock therapy and I think it backfired. Well, that's how he got it. They're trying to tell the audience, like, that's how he got that power. Yeah. And, um, uh, that's and how I took it, though. That's how I interpreted it. Another little point that was in there is he was in the file room. So he got his file and he knows who his mom is. Yeah, now. he wants to go home, like she said. Yeah. Exactly. So it makes sense. You know, this is the kind of movie that's just, it's perfect with the rewatch. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like one intentionally set it up. So like you had to go back and rewatch it so you can just see all this come together knowing, you know, how it ends. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you know how it ends. So, um, or at least I hope you do. If, if you need us to, let's just get it out of the way, I guess. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the rec- records room. Right outside of it, we got Weaver and the the guard to get to the room. She's warned by the nurse not to go inside or that that uh he'll kill her. Now, excuse me, this particular nurse, she recognize she look familiar to you? No, I didn't uh, recognize her. So she's played by actress Patricia Vasquez, who is the um she was in the Mummy and the Mummy Return. She was um the the, the Mummy's girlfriend she walks around naked and like kills people in the beginning before her she's the lover the the the, the mummy's lover she, oh, okay yeah i know who you're talking about yeah, so i didn't recognize her she was in the mummy film she was in the film mine hunters remember that film uh the, rennie harlan flick right yes yes sir yeah, I remember, Mom, yeah. you remember that good 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 and uh curse of la llorona which i've never uh, seen i didn't she's watch that. that i heard it wasn't that great Okay. So yeah, she's only in like this bit here. I guess she just popped up. It's a blink and you miss a cameo. Because I noticed the first time I was like, that woman looks just like Patricia Valesquez, but hmm. Valesquez, Valesquez. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Naka. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm butchering names left and right here. It's, Naka, Naka, not gonna be in the movie anymore. <laughs> exactly. That's it. So the guard assembles his tranquilizer. Uh, rifle and then immediately has his arm bent and broken when he uh, yeah, attempts to get into the room. That was a cool uh, little effect right there. Yeah, yeah it, just, it just gets ripped right inside. He gets pulled in. You hear the snap, the rip. You come through. It's just gnarly. So um, we see Weaver pick up the rifle and shoot Gabriel herself. Yeah, she kicks ass in this part. Yeah. At this point, all the lights have busted out and the red emergency lights are on. So we, we the films, you got this really cool like red color palette appearance. Yeah, it definitely reminds me a little bit of like Italian type horror, like how giallo. You know, the, yep, giallo, just like how exactly. they use the primary colors for sure. Um, yeah, the uses of colors uh, later on. How you know you see when Gabriel was wearing the leather trench coat and the gloves. That's all just giallo stuff right there to a right. T. It's all just influenced, heavily influenced. So, um, yeah, Gabriel's strapped into a chair as Weaver tells him he's been a bad, bad boy. As we hear him, uh, he's telling him that he's going to kill them all over the radio, which broadcasts his thoughts. That's how we can hear what he has to say. Uh, She says that she thought that they could help him, but they were wrong. And now it's time to cut out the cancer. As the opening credit set to a very industrial, like saw esque score plays over. Yeah, I dug it. I like the. I credits. like these the the score of this film. I like the music. Yeah, it's um, good. 
I, I've heard a lot of people not a fan of it, and I can I, I I hear them. I understand. You know, it's it's a whole like it's new metal reminiscent, and it really is. It reminds me of the late '90s, early 2000s for sure. And I mean, yeah. And there's a particular song that I want to talk about later on. The score just kind of rips off completely. <laughs> um, so it's present day. We see. Uh, Annabelle Wallace's Madison, she comes home to an old but huge mansion. Like, this thing is just wickedly eerie. Yeah, it looks like a haunted house. For yeah, real. It, it definitely <laughs> does. Um, yeah, nice set design, definitely. So, she's struggling to go upstairs due to a, a difficult pregnancy that she's clearly having. Uh, her husband, Derek, is up on, in, on the bed watching UFC. Uh, he seems more concerned about her being home instead of work itself. Yeah, he is. He oh, he's, is, he's something else. He's a piece of he's work. He's a piece of shit. But before she walks in there, she goes in the nursery, right? She, like, looks around in the nursery, I thought. And then okay, goes into the yeah, that's bedroom. Right. So, you know, instantly, uh, you know, she's definitely the film's looking telling us. To, I mean, she, you can see she's pregnant, but you can, you can tell she's really yearning for having the baby walking in there. Well, the fact that she's had... X amount of miscarriages in the past that we're going to find out. And the right. fact that she's this far along, she's almost at the finish line. So, right. of course, she's like, you know, thinking this is a done deal compared to the other uh, incidents. So, when she tries to tell him that she wants to lay down, he starts to ridicule her. Like, he says some fucked up shit. Like, maybe she needs to stop getting pregnant. I know. I wrote that line down, too. I was like, well, it takes two to tango, motherfucker. I know, I know. <laughs> the whole time, doing? it's like, dude, keep it in your pants, Cecil. Um, and then he asks how many more times he's got to watch his children die inside of her, which is, like, the most fucked up thing, like... Hey, I was watching that. Please, Derek, I really need to get some rest. Maybe you need to stop getting pregnant. Derek, please, I just really need to lie down. You know, the doctor said this could happen again, right? You know that. How many times do I have to watch my children die inside of you? Just stop. You're breaking my heart, Maddie, I swear to God. You can't keep doing this. Doing what? Doing what? Madison, tell me what I'm doing, huh? Tell me what I'm doing. Are you saying this is my fault? Are you saying this keeps happening because- Don't touch her! Bitch! Shit. Oh, baby. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm gonna get you some ice, okay? Okay, I'm gonna get you some ice. Hold on. I don't care how pissed off you are, you have to have some serious anger to say something like that to, like, your significant other, like, let alone the mother of, the potential mother of your child, like, fuck you, you are a fucking scumbag. Yeah, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the dialogue here, I think it's a little too over it's, the top. It's a stretch, it is, it is, it is. Um, Who talks like that? And a lot of things in this film, dialogue, um, you know, um, uh, related is over the top intentionally i'm 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 assuming um i think 
that's what one's going. I, not, I think, no, one didn't write it, but one came up with the story. But the writer, whoever, you know, um, I think that's what he was going for is just this really over the top, in your face, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree that's what they're going for, but I think there's a line, and I, I don't know. I think they, I think in a couple of parts, they kind of crossed the line a little bit. I wasn't, I, I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of the dialogue. I mean, yeah, the guy's a piece of shit, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying it fully on that. So when she says that he can't keep doing this, he shoves her goddamn head into the wall so hard that it breaks. Like the, the she like puts a hole in this like drywall. It it's and knocks her down immediately, breaks the wall. He immediately apologizes and goes to get her ice, and she gets up and locks herself in the bedroom and lays down. Um, after noticing that there's a, a lot of blood coming from the back of her head. A lot of blood. A lot of blood. <laughs> so later that night, uh, Derek wakes up on the couch to noises from the kitchen. And when a blender starts running, he gets up and goes to turn it off as the refrigerator door opens up behind him. Now, the TV goes on and we see a figure watching in the dark as the channels flicker until it goes out. But... He turns the TV, or he turns the lights on immediately after the TV goes out, and this figure is gone. And then we see the cushion movement, like he's like this figure is getting up. Now, how is this happening? Knowing how the how the film happens, like knowing what we know about you know what what Gabriel really is and what this yeah. is supposed to be. This is a plot hole. How is this happening? Why is this happening? Yeah. He's not a ghost. He's clearly... Gabriel's not a ghost. So how is... That eliminates the whole cushion movement part. Yeah. And, and he's just there to mislead you the, in the beginning. The f- but the fig- But it doesn't make sense. No, like, it doesn't make any sense. There's a, f- a couple scenes in the beginning after you watch it. At the, when you're first watching it, it's fine. Like, yeah, because you're trying like, to understand what's movie. going on. But after you know what's actually happening, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to me, like, you know, once you know what's happening in the movie, so you're telling me Gabriel just awakened and he wants to fuck with a blender? Like, that's what he's doing first? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, it, that whole First thing, line of action, blender. And then he's like, ah, oh, fridge, like, major appliances. You know, like, you know, that didn't really make any sense either, but you're right. It, it's just there to mislead you a little bit, misdirect you, and, you know, because I'm thinking it's like a ghost movie or something. Yeah, you would think, right. And that's why the the majority of the marketing was heavily surrounded this this moment of the film. Like, a lot of the images and and parts from the trailers come from this scene, and it's the only scene that doesn't make sense with the rest of the film. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, yeah, he gets up, Blunder... Frigerator door opens up behind him. Um, light goes out. I mean, the, the light goes on after the TV goes off. The the cushion movement. Um, eventually, a figure behind Derek pierces his head. Like as we see Madison suddenly wake up in pain and a lot of blood on that pillow. A lot of blood. It's yeah. like, honey, you need to get that checked out. You need to go to a doctor. I know. Like, I was like, she's in the medical profession. Right. <laughs> and like, you should already be there. If your head is still bleeding overnight, that's a problem. You need to get that checked out, honey. So, instead of doing that, she goes downstairs and calls out the Derek and eventually finds his corpse with a bent neck 
like a fucking brutally bent neck. Yeah, like almost decapitated, but like the skin held it on or something. I know. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly that's a good way of putting it. So a dark figure appears. Again, how's this happening? Dark figure appears and chases her to her room, where it blasts open the door she's trying to hold uh, to hold down. Uh, it, it knocks her out as her when her head hits the floor. The scene cuts to black, and, and it, it, cu- it cuts to a little later when the cops are on the scene at the house later on that night. Yeah, again, this scene doesn't really make sense in the context of the movie, but I have less of a problem with this because at least, like, you know, knowing what you know at the end of the movie, Gabriel puts her in, like, this kind of, like, mind, uh, like, reality. So maybe since he's starting to awaken and take over, he's making her see some weird shit with, like, the ghost and you know chasing her or whatever so i kind of attributed it to that but it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the context of the movie it's just there to scare you and mislead you pretty much no it doesn't make any goddamn sense it it i don't know kind of bugs me so see so yeah, we cut to a little later when the cops were on the scene of the house with a uh like a overhead helicopter and everything like, there's a lot of cops and everything. Like, one went all out on the budget with the cop cars and shit. So, yeah. <laughs> so her sister... Uh, wait, I got ahead of myself. So we're introduced to Detective um, Kakoa Shaw. Or yeah. K, as he says. Or as I'm going to call him Shaw, because I ain't saying that other crap. I, I call him Shaw through two of my notes. And Regina Moss, who... Uh, Obviously, Detective Moss enter the they enter the scene and talk about the situation with uh, CST Winnie, who is played by Ingrid Bisu, who is James Wan's real life girlfriend. I was telling you about this before we recorded. Yeah, the, I l- literally just found that out. The yeah. coroner who's not a coroner who's always on the scene of these things, like kind of right. like putting two and two together. She with she's got the nerd glasses and everything, and she's all like, she's all about these like murders and stuff. Yeah, in real life, she's actually married to James Wan. She's like a supermodel-looking mm. type girl. Right, and and she also happened to... She's got a key... A key. She has a credit for um story. She has a story credit along with James Wan and the writer of the film, the three of them together. So. Right. Um, they ask how bad it is, and she says she's never seen something like this before. Uh, so then we cut to Madison, who wakes up in a hospital bed with her sister, Sydney. All my notes I wrote Sydney, Cindy, C I N D Y. Her name is Sydney, like scream, Sydney Prescott. <laughs> so Sydney, haha, <laughs> Australian. I just got that. James Wan's Australian, obviously. Asking, uh, she's sitting by her side. I'm sorry. Uh, her sister tells her someone broke into her house and she was attacked and Derek was murdered. Madison cries, saying that she was scared for her baby, but then notices her baby bump is gone. She asks where her baby is, and Sydney apologizes, saying that they couldn't save her. into your house you were attacked and Derek just 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 rest I was so scared scared for my baby 
Sometime later, Detective Shaw comes to ask Madison questions, but she's been in a, a catatonic state for the last two days. Um, her sister Sydney shows up wearing this princess gown. Yeah, princess sister, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, she's there to check on Madison. It's revealed that she's had two previous, previous miscarriages. So this is her third miscarriage. So I can understand her catatonic state that she's in. Yeah, um, I can't imagine that. You know, we're both, uh, you know, got kids, so I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't that. imagine either. Like honestly, like um, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> so moving right along, Sydney drops Madison off and asks to stay tonight to uh, help out. Madison says that it felt so real this time and starts crying a little bit. Sydney says she doesn't. Uh, have to stay, but Madison insists, saying that it's her home, but it, it, it can't be taken away. So that night, um, Madison comes out of the bath, and then the street light starts to flicker outside. Um, it goes out completely, and we see a vague, mysterious black shadow uh, figure. So Madison races down the stairs to uh, lock the door and close all the curtains. But the back door is left open, so she closes it immediately. And we got various noises um, heard surrounding her. The door she just closed, then fires back open from the wind. She runs around the house. I love this shot. I love this fucking oh, shot. Yeah. This is the overhead like dollhouse the shot overhead, that I call. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to research because it was last minute uh, today, but I was curious, like, did they build that whole set and have a yeah, camera going so over it? Like, it was I really think, cool. So without reading anything on it, um, yes, obviously that's clearly, you know, a, a practical set. Now, it looks like they are sort of paying homage to, or at least this is how I took it, they're paying homage to Evil Dead 2. Because Evil Dead 2, yeah, Sam Raimi, you have an overhead yeah, shot like that in the cabin. And that's how Raimi did it. Is it was just a practical set with the camera was able to go overhead without, you know... It's like the illusion it's going through the walls, but it's not going through the walls. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I call this the dollhouse shot. And it's, for my money, like the best shot of the film. It, it looks awesome. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, James Wan has always just been great with a camera. I mean, between... You know, all his movies like The Fast and the Furious and... He's an innovator. Um, yeah, I mean, he really just... Yeah, he just comes up with creative ways. Like, it's just a stereotypical uh, running through the house because I'm scared of a ghost or whatever it is. But, you know, he really adds a lot of uh, pizzazz to it. Makes it a lot more interesting than it otherwise would have been. Especially since it doesn't even make sense in the context of the movie. <laughs> but it is pretty cool. He's trying, you know, unique different things. It reminds me of Ariaster with Midsommar. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and those shots, some of those shots in that movie are just so fucking fantastic. And I can't wait to eventually one day cover that film so I can talk about them shots. Because for my money, they're some of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen, you know, especially in a horror movie. So anyway, um, getting off track a little bit here. Um, so yeah, she's running around the house and then up the stairs where she locks herself in, the, in her room saying it's all in her head over and over. 
So the next day, we get a mini montage of medicine yeah. boarding up the house. And, more like a transition, but yeah. yeah. Adding some locks to it. Adding more locks to the, you know, some deadbolts and whatnot to the door. Sydney comes over, but can't get inside the house. So Madison's up in her room, standing, starting. She's just staring at the the the, the, the wall, the hole in the wall. Right. Um, that Derek did. That is, we're gonna find out later on in the film what causes all of this. Essentially, yeah, it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So Sydney appears at the window after climbing up the talk. She ends up shoving or showing Sydney the damaged wall, mentioning that she was planning on leaving Derek, but then became pregnant. She also reveals that uh, to Sydney that she was adapt- adopted in this part. <laughs> I like the look on Sydney's face. The She's look, like, the over the top look, the slow mo, the way that music kicks in, like it's a huge like reveal, like. Come on, you know, <laughs> mommy's not your mommy. Like that's what I thought it was. Just you so can't over tell me Juan was not intentionally going for the cheese factor, especially with this reaction shot that his, this woman gives who plays her sister. Um, I'm not familiar with her work, um, but yeah, she's just really over the top, and I, I that's. I, Come on, dude. That's what they was going for. That's yeah. what he's going for. You can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. Especially the way she pulls it off. And Juan kept it. Right. You know, he had the final say. He's got the final say over what stays and what goes. And, you know, this cheese stays. Um. So, then we cut to the Seattle Underground. I had no idea... Seattle had a city underground that was built over top. Yeah, me neither. I, I, I mean, you know. And it's legit. I actually looked, you know me, I'm like, is that real? Is I, that I looked legit? it up too. I yeah. looked it up and it's legit. And I'm like, holy hell, that's too cool. I mean, to be fair, we live on the other side of the country, so it makes sense that we wouldn't know. But it is really uh, neat, you know, learning that history a little bit. And the fact that they're actually down there, like that's all on the actual set. I mean, it looks good. Yeah, yeah, it looks really cool. It's this tour guide, this woman, she's giving a tour to this crowd. The lights start to flicker. Uh, her name is Serena, but I think for a while they call her Jane Doe. Yeah, you don't know who she is at first. Yeah, so she's giving a tour. Um, now, this woman, Serena, is played by uh, Jean Louisa Kelly. You know who that is? Yeah, she looked familiar. She it was on that show. I always saw reruns on a, a Yes Dear, isn't it? Perhaps. She to I mean, me what she's mostly known for, what the, what she hasn't been around in a while is Uncle Buck. She's Tia. Oh, she's that's the right. she's she's like the 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 oldest, you know, sibling who like, you know, has a bone to pick with Buck the whole okay. time. So in my defense, I pulled up the IMDb. Uncle Buck is number 1 on there. Yes, dear is number 2. Uh, so I wasn't uh, too fucking Okay, far. so that is her. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I actually just found that out this morning when I was dig- doing some like digging for the film for the episode here and I'm like, "Holy shit, that's Tia from fucking Uncle Buck." That's now, too cool. Now that you mention it, yeah. And then that- just to be uh, clear here, yes, dear, I'm not promoting that show at all. It was just always on when I was doing homework in college. Always on reruns. Constantly. There you go. Um, so, at the end of the night, while she's getting ready to leave, she hears noises and yells at that, yells out that they're closed, thinking that it's some people messing around. 
she yells into the darkness that they can't be down there and then she says that uh, she's then chased to the extension cord where she turned she's able to plug it in so (laughs) is this suddenly darkness falls is is the boogeyman like in the total darkness or and that's it like yeah that's the vibe i was getting at this part as soon as I heard those noises, I'd have been like, nope, out of there. Yeah, I would have been noping the fuck out of there, exactly. I would not be messing with the power cord. So she runs this power cord, is able to turn it on, so she's got light again. But then she hears sounds from up above. She looks up, and this, you know, black figure comes down on her, which we don't, still at this point, don't know what it is, but we actually see a kind of a glimpse of you its face. You get a quick shot of the face, yes. Yeah. Um, as it comes down on her. So, it's not over yet. You think the scene's over and, and, and it's going to cut to like the next day, Madison waking up. No, he ain't done with this woman. So, it cuts to um, her waking up in like this, she's tied up in this attic, her mouth, and she's, you know, she's bound by the mouth. Um, giant fan. Like, <laughs> yeah, giant the giant, fan. exactly, this giant fan. Which it looks cool, but once you realize what's happening, it makes no sense whatsoever why it would be there. I, yeah, I know. But it is cool. I like, know, it's, it's, cool it's definitely a plot hole. So, this is our first good look at the film's central villain, as he tells her how he can't wait, you know, he can't, he can't tell her how long he's been waiting for this, but not yet. First, Dr. Weaver. So we cut to Dr. Weaver now, present day. She's at home working on at her work desk um, when she gets a phone call from Gabriel saying it's time to cut out the cancer and then hangs up. Uh, this is when we get our first good look at our uh, particular award of hers that's uh, front hey, and center on her bookshelf. Award. Yeah, this award here. <laughs> so, um, along with the other plaques and awards, it's for, excel- it's for excellence in surgery. Excellence in surgery is what the award's for. And it includes a knife uh, and, a, like, a blade. The knife is, like, wrapped with just... I don't know what it's supposed to resemble, a snake or something. Something's wrapping it. I um, don't know what it's supposed to represent, but I assume they were like, here's the award. You can actually do surgery with it. <laughs> so it's really cool. Yeah, because he takes it and he just, like, busts it open and kind of, like, concocts it into his own little murder weapon. Which is cool. I mean, it gives him something, you know, to just be remembered before even though he doesn't use it for some of the killings in this film um so madison's at home doing laundry when the lights flicker as she suffers from some sort of obvious pain she continues to work around the house and down the stairs with her clothes hamper she notices the back um uh, the back again like um she's bleeding the back of her head's bleeding yeah. that's, that's what i meant to say uh, so as she's about to uh, put the clothes into the washer, she suddenly sees Dr. Weaver screaming at her from the other side of the window, from yeah. like, the washer, the, the window. Um, yeah. Obviously, this is like, it, it's a vision that she's having. It's yeah, it's just, an awesome... It's a fucking weird... Yeah, it's a weird First time visual. watching it, it's just a weird scene. I'm like, what the hell is it, going on? It got me. I was like, whoa, what is that? Yeah, because she's <laughs> screaming like, who are you? What are you doing in my house? Um, and we find out, obviously, that she's t- saying that to Gabriel. Um, Madison suddenly can't... She suddenly um, start. She can't move. Like, she's locked down on the floor where she's sitting, where she got knocked down. Right. Gabriel appears and attacks Weaver while uh, Madison looks on in fear. 
So her entire surroundings start to shift into like the appearance of Weaver's house here. Like this is a cool it's shot. Cool. Yeah. It's it's a uh, not a three sixty shot, but almost esque. It's like a three sixty esque shot with like the visuals just changing all around her. Um Yeah, it's really cool. It reminds me of anybody played Silent Hill when stuff would switch over. It's kinda okay. like that. It stuff would just kinda melt away and then all of a sudden you would be in Silent Hill. And that's kinda what this reminds me of. Okay. So this this allows Madison to observe the encounter up close and personal. So from the TV, Gabriel's voice is heard saying it's time to cut out the cancer as Gabriel slams Weaver around the house, like all around her living room. He takes the um, the sword award and <laughs> just beats her to a bloody pulp with it. Just a lot of head stabbings in this film, starting with Weaver here. So Madison wakes up on the floor the next morning with her blood bleeding all again. It's just becoming a thing, and she's still not doing anything about it. What is wrong with you, woman? Uh, crime scene, uh, the, Weaver's place turns into a crime scene. It's said that Weaver was one tough cookie who put up one hell of a fight till the end. Detective Shaw orders all the books that Weaver kept on her patients to come back to the station with them so they can go through them all. Uh, Detective Moss, which is the, the, the colored woman of the duo, then asks if the rest of the murder weapon was found as the film cuts back to the attic where I tied up Serena is... Oh, yeah. Sorry, real quick. No, no, go on. They uh, dropped something in there that was important. They mentioned that she was a doctor really known for reconstructive surgery and uh, just cosmetic surgery. So that's an important plot point when it, you're watching yeah, it, it is, the first time. It is, it is. It's definitely, you know, things are getting more and more clear <clears throat> as the film goes on. So anyway, um, yeah, we got Serena still tied up, looking on in the attic or wherever she is. And... Um, Gabriel is just making a weapon, like a makeshift weapon with this. He's breaking off that wrapping around the blade. He's kind of like taking the award itself off and kind of like just making his own personal like death dagger, if you, if you will. Um, it's pretty badass, you know. No, it looks cool. We've yeah. got this whole you know trench coat look with this weird you know single hand blade you know dagger for a weapon. Like it's it's kind of iconic. It's not the most it's not the most original look, but, you know, once you, you know, watch the film and understand, you know, why it's like that, then, you know, it makes more sense. But I think overall, you know, Gabriel's fucking pretty gnarly, you know, there's there's a reason I wanted to cover this film. Yeah. And at this point, when I was watching it for the first time, you know, you're looking, you get a better look at Gabriel and, you know, like, yeah, Gabriel looks kind of familiar. I wonder if they're going that way. But I was like, eh, nah, it, it, it's not going that. I thought it was going a different way when I was watching this the first time than where we end up. So, but, you know, you definitely recognize a little bit of Gabriel and uh, Madison uh, lookalike. But, you know, yeah. I, at this point, I still didn't really know which way uh, Juan was taking it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Serena kind of tries escaping. Gabriel throws his new blade at her, like right next to her head. It lands. It goes through a little piece of wood. Uh, he tells her not to do it. <laughs> like, don't do that. And then we get more industrial music playing to uh, this. They go along with the scene, and then Sydney is uh, comforting Madison at home, who's in the bathroom, uh, getting sick and crying. Um, yeah, she's like Madison's sick. She tells uh, Sydney about the vision. Yeah, the vision. 
Because isn't this where they go to the police station? Yeah, so uh, this is when she's telling, um, you know, that she saw this uh, murder, and then, yeah, they go down to the... um, Not doing herself any favors, might I add. No, no. Somehow I'm seeing his murders, like like he's showing them to me. What do you mean? He's sending you videos? No, goddammit. I see them as they're happening. Like I'm having visions. I know how that sounds. Okay, maybe when the killer attacked... Madison, they formed like some kind of um, like a, a, a like a, a psychic bond. I mean, you guys consult psychics for like missing persons cases, right? No, we don't. I played a psychic in an episode of a cop show, and they said it's a real thing. Are we really having this conversation? <clears throat> okay, Madison, what exactly did you see? He killed again. This time across from the Silver Cup Apartments in North Beacon Hill. I googled it. Great. Wikipedia Brown here just solved the case. Listen, Madison saw Dr. Weaver die as it happened. And now she says she's seen this one. So let's go look. If she's wrong, you can have her committed and you can put the cuffs on me. And then you see the cops going through the uh, files, all the um, doctor's files. Right, right, and right. And I, I put a note in, like, this is your... And I, I know that's probably what Juan was going for. This is your stereotypical movie police station. It's like this huge police station. Like, the desks are all right in the middle. It's, like, gothic-looking. Like, no police station probably looks like this, but... Hell no. He, he was going... I You know, I definitely like think that's showcase. what he was going for. Is that the police station from Last Action Hero? I was going to say that. I was waiting for the cartoon cat to walk in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it toots. Um, but yeah, that, that that's right. That's the scene. So they go to see these detectives, and Sydney's like, hey, my sister, you know, she's a psychic or whatever. Yeah, know? and then she asks if they um, hire psychics to work at the station, and they laugh at her, but then later they bring in a psychic, so it was kind of silly to have that. But. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, that happens. Um, and then at the end, uh, Shaw asks for a police sketch, because um, he finds the file with the... Um, that's right, the police with sketch. With the um, patient, and he asks for a police sketch aged 30 years. Because he's kind of flirting with uh, Sydney the whole yeah, time. Yeah, the sister, it's, yep. It's worth mentioning that, too. Meanwhile, you know, Moss is kind of a no-nonsense woman, and she's even just... From the word go, she's, you know, had a raised eyebrow towards this whole Madison thing. She hasn't really been buying her stories since she first came into the picture. Yeah, I don't blame her. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, so where are we at here? So this is where, is this where Sydney and Madison go to the home of their mother? Are we close uh, enough that we can talk about it? I think we're close enough in the story. Well, I think they go... Oh, there's another murder. That's no, right. No, they go... There's, yeah, they go yeah, to the next... Yeah, there's another murder. I'm sorry. Let me back up. Dr. Victor. Doc, Dr. Fields. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. So, Fields, uh, he's a former colleague of Weaver's. He overhears about her death and is mortified by the circumstances. As Fields settles in his bed, this is where Gabriel comes in, um... Madison tries to go to sleep, but she sees Fields in her bed next to her. I love that shot, too. I really like how he was creative in introducing her yes. into these scenes. Yes. He, I think Juan did a really good job with that. Yeah. Um, 
And then Gabriel takes the weapon and proceeds to just gruesomely stab Fields in the face and yeah. neck over and he, over. He stabs the shit out of him. Oh, it, yeah. And the blood is uh, really dark in this uh, scene for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just the way the scene was lit. Because it's a little bit darker in the scene. It has the red neon lights coming in the windows. So it's like the 80s type horror. I think this yeah. is the only part with a blood CG. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it was definitely CG, but I mean, you know, you yeah, come to expect that nowadays. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, so then Madison and, uh, and Sydney go to Shaw and, and, and Moss again with a description of her vision. Uh, they find the apartment building, but Shaw and Moss are forced to go knocking on the doors on the top floor until they find Field's room and discover his corpse. So when they go back to the station, Madison tries to identify the killer, but can only come up with a monstrous facial description. <laughs> yeah, they said the uh, detective. Um, she says slaw. Said, she calls yeah, him slaw. An APV out on slaw. Want to put a bolo out on sloth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to the bathroom and gets a phone call from her unknown number, from an unknown number, and it's it's Gabriel. He's um, speaking to her, telling Madison that her real name is Emily. Madison addresses Gabriel by his name. Yeah, so she knew it without him saying it. So obviously, she remembers him. She remembers, she remembers him. Deep yeah. down, dark, she remembers him. So this is where Madison and Sydney go to see their mother. Yeah, and aka what I call mom exposition part, because that's yeah. pretty much all the mom is in this movie is exposition. Oh yes, you are so right, sir. So she becomes mortified when Madison brings up Gabriel, and she gives the the ladies a videotape of Madison as a child. Sad, sad birthday party. <laughs> You wanted a party so bad, Maddie. You nagged us until your father gave in, and we invited your whole class, but they thought I was a freak. I had no friends, I remember that. Maddie, 
talking to? No one. Maddie. Maddie? What did we say about buying? I wasn't. Well, then who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Gabriel isn't made up. He says that you are. He says you're not my real family. Conversations you had with Gabriel just chilled us to the bone. Wait, so Gabriel was something that I made up? Whatever you went through before you joined our family, it hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. I always figured you created Gabriel so that you could survive that. We thought if we gave you enough love, you would. I noticed right away that this must have been a reshoot. Or, or um, when they came back for reshoots, they they added because uh, I I think I read that they wrapped filming in late 2019. Yeah, it, but, they wrapped a while ago. Yeah. But the uh, young Madison is played by um, uh, McKenna Grace, who is in Conjuring Two. She was young Tanya Harding and I Tanya. She's in the upcoming Ghostbusters film as um, uh, um. Egon's granddaughter. Yeah. Or great-granddaughter, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, not to get off track. No, it is granddaughter, I'm sorry. Not to get off track, but I'm hopefully optimistic on that movie. I'm really hoping it's better than the last one. They uh, yeah, I, we can talk about it for a second here. I'm, uh, I like what I've seen so far. I think the addition of Paul Rudd is a plus. Yeah. I love I mean, Paul Rudd in anything. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I like how they're intentionally not showing us the original cast yet. I mean, yeah, we saw Annie Potts in the new trailer, and at the very end of the trailer was, um, you know, was, um, Ray, we're closed. Not Ray. Yeah. yeah, Ray, we're closed. And that's all you need. Yeah. Now, I could do without the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Men. Yeah. I, it's kind of overkill, but... You can tell this was popular, so let's put it in the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we already know who the villain's gonna be in this movie. Yeah. You, they, they pretty much spoiled that in the first trailer. Um, yeah, which I'm fine with. I'm I'm good with seeing. You know, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it would make sense for that. that I don't want to spoil it for anybody. No, I, that's why. That's why I didn't finish my sentence just now. But, um, but, but it looks good. I mean, it's already got a leg up because the original actors are going to be playing them their old characters. They're not going to be coming back just for a random and, cameo and, and like in the last. Bill movie. Murray's behind it, and hey, honestly, it's Jason Reitman. So it's Jason Reitman. So his dad did the first two. You know, it only makes sense. It's like full circle. Jason Reitman was also one of the annoying kids at the birthday party in part two. <laughs> he man, he man. Yeah. So, 
Um, but yeah, otherwise, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I wish they would stop delaying the film. Um, I know. I feel like I saw the trailer like you did three years ago. You did. <laughs> and finally, Thanksgiving. God willing, hopefully, Thanksgiving we'll be seeing this movie. <laughs> so, back to this movie though. Um, there's another tape that shows Madison and Christmas talking to Gabriel on the phone and asking him not to kill baby Sydney. Um, yeah. that which is fucking downright creepy. Yeah, let me just say that uh, uh, Madison's mom is a saint because as soon as I would have heard that, I'd have been like, nah, you're going back to the orphanage, sorry. Yeah. I, you know, no offense, <laughs> like, you do you, I'll do me, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 that is crazy. I, I, I like when she's like, oh, we just thought you needed love. I was like, no, nah, I think she needed, like, an institution, but, you know, I think <laughs> it's crazy yeah, that the mom exactly. So Shaw does some more research in the Weaver's work and learns of another colleague, Dr. John Gregory. Um, he was involved in procedures with Gabriel. And sure enough, Madison sees herself in Gregory's home. Uh, this is the guy who takes a bath at the iPad, right? Yeah, she sees him in the mirror is where uh, the transition happens. So she's looking in her mirror, she sees Dr. Gregory, and then right, and he's he gets, in the tub. And yep. he gets killed. He gets called off screen, doesn't he? He does because Shaw shows up. Right. But he's too late. He's too late. And, and then we see. Back and we, well, I know. But other than that, we have Madison, who's there but not there. And she's yelling at um, uh, Shaw. Yeah. She's yelling at Shaw to, to look up. He's still there. The killer's still there in the room. And he can, sure enough, through the, through the mirror, we see Gabriel in the corner. Right. And this is where the big chase, the parkour sequence, the chase, <laughs> like, you name it. This scene is just... Um, haven't seen this movie four times. I still don't know where I stand on this part. Yeah, it's... Um, it, the CG, it, yeah, it, it exposes it's, it's itself choppy. a little bit. The choppy CG kind of reminds me of, like, the, the, the technology from Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. Um, but other than that, um, it's, it was whatever. The parkour thing. Parkour. Um, I, I mean, I guess if it's truly Gabriel doing all this, you know, and Madison's just completely defenseless. You know, he had a time I, to practice parkour back in the hospital, well, of course. Look, bro, if, if that's the case, <laughs> then all the merrier. Um, I just think it's just, I, I don't know. And I have a hard time believing that he just lets Shaw get away 
you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Scott Free. The way he rips everybody else apart and then Shaw by himself. Yeah, he has a gun, but come it's, on. And you've got him, like, deep in this chamber wherever you're hiding out. It's like, yeah. you can get him right now. You know this, right? I literally... But no, it, it, the scene just ends and he's suddenly somewhere else. Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, they go underground and it's supposed to be, like, the Seattle Underground... And there's, like, an old horse carriage. There's, like, a lot of weird old stuff. The horse carriage, exactly. Yeah. And this is the moment where Shaw should have died at the horse carriage. I feel like, yeah, especially the way the movie ended, you really didn't need Shaw. He, I, I feel no. like he should have died. He wasn't. I thought he was going to be more integral. I mean, the movie didn't even care about Shaw. The movie didn't even give him a proper goodbye or a send-off. No, no. Yeah, he just gets hit with a knife. And he's out of the movie. And uh, there's something else I picked up in this scene, and maybe other people would notice it earlier, but you really start noticing uh, Gabriel's kind of moving backwards, like almost like yeah. he's walking backwards. I mean, you might see it a little bit earlier in the scenes, but when I when I was watching it for the first time, I was like, wow, is he like walking backwards or something the whole time? You know, I know they foreshadow it a little bit, and you see it a little bit earlier, but th- this was the first time... You- you know, you really get to see Gabriel move a lot more, and I noticed that. He was right, that's the whole idea that it's it's you know it's it's Madison because it, it you start to see eventually the limbs actually twist, right. turn in the other direction. Right, yeah, you see it more later. Yeah, right, right, right. But um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the person behind the scenes. Um, this was not CG. The parkour stuff, even the stuff that's coming up. We're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, but the jail cell sequence wasn't CG. That was yeah. an actual person and that looked good, who was yeah. doing that stuff backwards. And it made me twitch. Like, I was like, ah. Yeah. yeah it's and it awesome. Good. Not like the CGI parkour shit. <laughs> All right. So the next scene is Shaw and Moss. They meet with Madison and Sydney again, um, plus the hypotherapist, as they try to get Madison to remember her childhood connection to Gabriel. They know now that Weaver and her team had Madison or Emily as a case study. Madison remembers that Gabriel would speak to her as a child and do bad things that would um, get she would get blamed for, like putting his finger through a cake or, or even going as far as to get Madison to hold a knife and nearly kill her adoptive parents. Yeah, and it's uh, one little thing is it started raining um, as she starts recalling it. I don't know if like Gabriel's supposed to have weather powers to her or it's just a coincidence, but it happens. <laughs> it yeah. starts raining and storming. So yeah, she starts freaking out, saying that Gabriel was always making her take the blame, but she snapped out of it. Moments later, uh, the, the captured woman, we see her upstairs. Well, we don't know if she's upstairs yet. We see her break, get free. She unties her. She's able to, you know, get herself down. Um, and yeah, oh my god, I feel sorry for the people <laughs> that have to clean up this shit. Yeah. Um, right through the floor. <laughs> Yeah, she goes right through the floor. She falls down a good 20, 30 feet. Thank <laughs> you. 
yeah. I don't even remember the ceiling being this high from the earlier scenes. Like when Derek was killed, did we even see a high ceiling like this? Regardless of the case, Hermie comes crashing through that floor, down. It's almost like comedic because she goes to take a step out and just goes right through the floor. Oh, I, falls down like hard, super hard. And the people just let out this like curdling scream. Well, it was Madi- Madison that did. Yeah, she let out this scream. And then the music. Holy shit. I I laughed. I took I took it it was supposed to be comedic because it's just funny. You know, you hear like, oh, Gabriel blames everything. You know, I get blamed for everything he does. I'm innocent. I don't know what's going on. And then this woman just falls through her ceiling. It's missing. I, I thought it was pretty funny the way it was portrayed. So I want to point out that this, this theme in this particular moment here, we hear numerous times throughout the movie. Um, this is what I was talking about. This is... um. Uh, uh, this is the Pixies, Where's My Mind? The same song that we hear at the end of the Fight Club. Um, it's got the same riff. It's almost like a, a, a new industrial cover of it, almost, in a sense. Because um, it's definitely sampling Where's My Mind. It's It sounds just like the song. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, just an observation, though. I, I, I dig it. I still like the music in this movie. I just wanted to point that out. Um, not that half the country hasn't already. Right. Um, and before we move on, it's just like once, um, you know, the woman falls through the attic, it just makes no sense. Why would that fan be there in a residential home? Like before, I was thinking like, oh, oh it's yeah, a cool fan. The fan, exactly. Industrial, but then it happens. I'm like, okay, you see the front of this house. Where the fuck is that fan at? Like, is it on the back? Maybe it's side? the back. Like that's a hell of an exhaust for your uh, bathroom or kitchen. I mean, like, we never see the back, the backyard or the back side of the house. I mean, yeah, and I mean, I know obviously Juan did it to have a cool setting, not just like a normal attic, but um, like a warehouse. And, and, like there could have, it could have been like a cool window or gothic window or something. I don't know. I, I didn't like the whole fan thing. It, it, you can, there's certain lines you can't cross. That I don't know. That's just a little too silly for me. But Christ, Corey, just a fan. <laughs> Such a fan, man. Yeah. So they book her. They bring her in, and they, they take her into custody. And um, Moss ain't having it particularly. She even, you know, gives Sean the whole "I told you so." Yeah. Like, I told. Totally. I called her from the beginning, you know, and she kind of did. You know, the whole motive that she said earlier in the film. She's talking about her um. Um, no signs of fourth century. Yeah, domestic abuse dom- and, and and dead dead husband. And she just said motive. So her she was suspicious to begin with. This was only confirmation. And so and uh, yeah, they're talking to her in the interrogation room, and then that's when the cops get the call from uh, Gabriel. From Gabriel, you got the murder weapon, the coat, the gloves, and Jeffrey Dahmer's workshop in your attic. It's over, Madison. It was Gabriel. He got into my house. He's done it before. Enough with the boogeyman story. Please, Kakoa. Please, you have seen him. You know that it's not me. Who is the woman, Madison? I don't know. Gabriel must have snuck her into my house. Let me tell you what I think. You were sick in the head when you were young. Those doctors helped you. It worked for a while. 
but now your sickness is back and you blame them for fucking you up. Kidding me. This is Detective Shaw. Hello, Detective. Who am I talking to? Find you soon enough. But you found my things. I want them back. Why was your stuff in her attic? Hmm? You trying to incriminate her? Dumb bitch didn't even know I was nesting in her home. Is all this personal? And then isn't this meanwhile, isn't Sydney taking her road trip out to the hospital doing this as well? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's get... kind of, this whole scene is kind of intercut with uh, Sydney and, you know, going to see her mom and then going right. to see House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. <laughs> and this is kind of like, I guess we'll just get her part of the, out of the way while we're talking about it. So she goes to the hospital. It's kind of like a, a subplot going on while the yeah, whole I, main thing's going on. I thought they're going to do more with it, honestly. Yeah, she goes and she finds what she's looking for, and basically it it, it just clears... I, I don't know. Yeah, she just finds it pretty easily. It, it's like she's walking into a library and used the Dewey Decimal System or something. Like, yeah, it was and just like, way she's not attacked, there's nothing going on. Like, she goes to the hospital and gets what she's looking for pretty easy-peasy, scot-free. Yeah. And there's no challenge, there's there's not even a jump scare, it's just she finds what she's looking for. It's and gotta be a HIPAA violation, it. leaving that stuff there. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, like you said, the phone call occurs in the jail cell. Well, not the jail cell, but the phone call occurs in the, in the interrogation room right, with yeah. the detectives and um, Madison. And then I guess we'll talk about it here. They have her in a holding cell with like, I don't know if there was like a retro convention in town or something yeah. because you have like a hippie chick. You've got like the the... the, the the Afro disco looking uh, woman must have been like an eighties bar crawl. Yeah, and they just threw her in the drum yeah, tank yeah. with the eighties bar crawl. Yeah, and then we get Zoe Bell. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Zoe Bell, if you're familiar with, um, pretty much every role in every Tarantino film, because she she did stunts for Tarantino for like the longest time, and then he found out that she also. You know, from time to time, would do actual acting roles, and he casted her in a bunch of stuff like Kill Bill, The Hateful Eight. Um, she played uh, 
uh, Kurt Russell's wife from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who got pissed off after Bruce Bruce Lee got his ass kicked by um by um not Chuck, what's his name in the movie Brad Pitt. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've only seen that once. Unfortunately, I haven't had time to go back and revisit it. But um. I would Cliff, say, Cliff. I'm sorry, Cliff. Cliff. I, and I would say, like, I remember her most. I know she's been in all that stuff, but Death Proof, because she was, that was probably her biggest part, I would say, because she was, like, one of the main people um, in the second half of Death Proof in the whole scene with uh, her riding on the hood and everything. Yeah. And that's, I think, when a lot of people was introduced to her and stuff. So, because that's a big, big moment in that movie. Yeah. That, you know. That, I actually haven't seen Grindhouse, not Grindhouse, um, Death Proof, probably a year after we saw it in the theater. What was yeah. that, 2007? Yeah, because we saw so it. So it's been like 14 years or so since I've seen the movie. I think, was 15. I think they really messed up on the order of the films. I think they would have, Death Proof would have been much better served going on first. Because uh, yep. I just remember sitting in that theater, uh, you know, how what whatever it was, like 15 years ago, whatever, however long it was. Uh, and we went to a evening showing, but it was just like midnight at that point. I think like literally half the people in the audience were like starting to nod off at that point when death proof hit. <laughs> so it's a lot better if you just watch it by itself or if you watch it, uh, earlier in the day, like if it's not a double feature, I actually like death proof. I think it's a little underrated, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't benefited by the way <laughs> it was shown in the crying house. Yeah, so she's in the jail cell now with all these people, all these women, I'm sorry. Like Foxy Brown. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it starts because she's getting attacked. They jump her, they beat her up because they can, and they do. And that kind of awakens Gabriel. Yeah, and you get the awesome scene. And we get the full reveal. I mean, the whole hands in the back of her head that rips her skin open so like Gabriel's face can be exposed. While this is all happening, all these women are given the most over-the-top what-the-fuck looks and reactions. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Another reason why this movie is just so tongue-in-cheek um, and isn't meant to be like an overly serious horror film. You're supposed to have fun with it. It's yeah. a genre film. You can tell they were like just the reactions, over-the-top reaction. <laughs> you know, these reactions while she's channeling her inner uh, queerness quirrel, uh, whatever his name is from um, Harry Potter and the, and the Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, yeah, whatever country you're I, in. I know what you're talking about. Because, yeah. you know, exactly. That's um, um, uh, Voldemort. Voldemort. In the turban, this is exactly what this is here with Gabriel right. in yeah. the back of um, Madison's head. And that's the full reveal. Gabriel is an actual being or tumor or whatever you want to call it that was essentially on her back. And then they cut everything off. They pushed the skull, they pushed this thing into her, back into her head, yeah. and sealed it shut. It's they, like... They actually say it, like, they his brain is part of her brain, so, right. like, they can't cut him completely off, so they kind of, like, put him into her skull and fold it over, which, like, if that's really happening, she must have a headache this whole movie, like, if her skull's opening up yeah, and he's exactly, exactly. Oh, my God. A splitting headache. So... 
yeah, that happens, and then it's just a massacre. Like, it's not even... It's not as violent as you would think. It cuts but away a lot. It, it, there's some cool shit. It's just kind of like a ninja, just single-handedly killing violent in violent ways all these women well, and i love what zoe bell's doing the whole time just literally throwing mm. chicks to her yeah <laughs> running away throwing chicks and then how does she finally get her demise because one woman gets her whole entire head smashed like stomped i yeah, remember that stomped i don't remember exactly how um zoe bell i don't oh, think oh no no i do she grabs zoe bell's like eye and then a cop comes in and then starts shooting, and she uses Zoe Bell as, as, as a human shield. That's right. Okay, that's how Zoe. That's Bell gets right. It. Yep. Okay. So then, um, so when the guard comes to stop her, or him, uh, Gabriel manages. Uh, he rampages through the station and yeah. starts killing cops. I wrote like going full Terminator right full here, Terminator. just taking out the whole station. What'd you think of that chair shot from across the room? Yeah, I mean it was pretty. pretty Throwing good. the chair, hitting the cop from across the room. Uh, yeah, taking out cops exactly. Like you know, where's uh Lance Henderson when you need him? You know. And I literally wrote like when Gabriel's in like the main part of the um police station and he's just taking people out it's like the matrix <laughs> yes <laughs> that's yes. really what this reminds yes, me exactly of. yes um so sydney meets up with shaw as they both realize that gabriel is going after serena at the hospital so that's where serena that's where gabriel's heading now is the hospital well, to take care of also serena um it's cut in there when he gets his stuff back because he goes in the csi chick is like hiding um from him when he goes right. in the storage yeah he goes to get his stuff his um leather coat which is a cool scene, and she's hiding, like I said, in the um, in the uh, uh what is that? Evidence room. Evidence room. I thought she was gonna get hit. I, me too. Sure. Me too. And no, uh, he just goes in and retrieves his uh, trench coat, leather trench coat from a box, puts it on, and kind of like just walks backwards out of the joint. <laughs> um, and yeah. Although I will admit the um, the obvious plastered uh. Annabelle Wallace's head on the back of the stunt actor, yeah. a little over the top, um, looks like shit. Just being yeah. blunt. I know. I don't know how else you would really do it though. I, know, I feel I like know. CG would look just as bad, probably. So eh. I didn't have as much of a problem with it, but yeah. No, I mean it wasn't like it took me out of the film or anything like that. No. Nothing. No, no, not that extreme. Not that extreme at all. No, just pointing something out. That's all. Uh, you know how I am. Calls it as I sees it. So. Once they, yeah, so yeah, Gabriel, he's uh, manipulating the lights and kills a guard by frying his pacemaker. I know, I, I love that part when the pacemaker explodes. That's, that's pretty <laughs> yes, creative. It yeah. is, it is, definitely is. Um, so then Gabriel makes it to Serena's room where he, uh, he hurls his weapon. Uh, at Shaw's chest and wounds him while Sydney and uh, she, she tries to stop Gabriel from killing Serena and but he hurls the hospital bed to uh, on top of her well and before Shaw gets there though the mom apologizes and Gabriel that's like the one spot where Gabriel's kind of like calm right. you see a little bit of humanity in him because he you know his mom's apologizing that she shouldn't have got rid of him and he kind of starts putting the knife down, and then that's when Shaw comes in and he hits him with the knife, and then Gabriel flips the bed. Okay, and then um, 
And then she's she's yelling at Madison. That's right. She's because she's got the butt. I remember this part now. While she's got the bed on top of her, she's actually yelling out to talk to Madison. Yeah, saying that um, Gabriel was responsible for her miscarriages. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the big turn changing point uh, when she reveals this. That's right. So she tells her that she that Gabriel's responsible for these miscarriages. Like basically, he was killing them from the inside yeah. while and, while she was pregnant. Yeah, and it alluded to it before before they um, amputated Gabriel. Um, at you know when um, Madison was a kid, they said he was feeding off of her and she was losing weight and not really healthy. So it yes, makes sense right. in the context when he you know he's been feeding off of the fetuses and that's why she can't have any kids. And then suddenly Gabriel shoots her in the head. <laughs> I was hoping they were going to go there. And that's just the way it was going to end. You can do it, Madison. You're strong. Bang. For going after dead. Serena. Uh, she apologizes to Gabriel for uh, giving him up. Uh, but he is unmoved and still kills her, saying that it's her fault that he's a monster. Uh, then Madison's voice calls out, saying that Gabriel was always a monster. And then it turns out... That she has now learned his mind manipulation skills and has forced Gabriel to see what she wants, meaning he didn't kill Sydney or Serena. Um, so here it's just Madison and Gabriel in this blackness. It's pretty much her dream world. Yeah, it's like her mind, yeah. Because it has like the same transition. So it's just like the tables are turned now. You know, she's been going through that stuff and Gabriel's doing it to her. Now she's doing it to Gabriel. Yeah, Total Darkness kind of reminds me of the second season of Stranger Things with um, Eleven and that, that, that kind of like inner world where it's all blackness and the puddle that they're walking through. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of like she locks him away in this mental jail for the most part. Right. Is what it, is basically what happens. Reminds me of Dr. Saying, Sleep a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And how she's saying that, you know, he'll, he's like, that. you can't keep me here forever. I'm going to get free. And she's like, yes, but next time I'll be waiting. A monster. No, Gabriel. You are always a monster. What? What's happening? Now I can do all the mind tricks you can. your body. I can use it better than you. Not anymore. You don't get to control me ever again. It's over, Gabriel. I'm taking it all back. My mind, my body, my everything. Now you get to live in a world that I create. Lock me in here forever! You'll always be stuck with me! Sooner or later, I will get out! I know. But next time, I'll be ready for you. 
She's learned basically to overcome him and not fear him. How is this not Nancy and Freddy's final encounter from Elm Street? Oh, like, yeah, this is absolutely. exactly that final scene from Elm Street with Nancy saying, I no longer fear you. Absolutely. You know, and I'm, I take yeah. back every ounce of power I ever gave you. And that's how Freddy got defeated in the first Elm Street. Well, I guess James Wan was watching a lot of Freddy Krueger movies or... Um, he just always had the idea of just paying homage to Elm Street with this ending. And I like it. Um, but it's painfully obvious. It's just it's the, pretty much like the, the same exact ending for the most part. Uh, and yeah, she locks, she goes and closes the jail cell saying that she'll be ready next time. She walks out of the scene and we get Gabriel kind of like just shaking on the bars, like saying, yeah, and, um, yeah, so wakes up, all is well, there's a reunion between the three ladies, uh, Madison, Serena, and, um, Sydney, and that's it, it ends, the scene pulls back, we see it, we hear a flicker from the light bulb, you hear the buzzing, but before buzz, that, but oh. it's, it reminds me, just like Inception, before the top falls, it cuts the right. blackness and the credits start, just like this, before we get a flicker, Cut the darkness and credits. Yeah, movie over. It's like bad wiring or Gabriel, you decide. Yeah. <laughs> um, no stinger. So no post credit scene for I this film. I, I was literally I watching for that the first time I watched. Right. It. And uh, real quick before it ended, uh, Madison realizes uh, she's also super strong because she lifts the bed off of her sister, and she's like, "Well, if Gabriel did all this with my body, I can do it." And she like lifts this hospital bed, so I guess she's Superwoman yeah, now she's too. Yeah, she's. We'll see. Um. All right, so how did we get here? New sketch. How did we get here? I led you here, sir. For I am Spartacus. Alright, so in July 2019, it was announced that James Wan would direct a new film for New Line Cinema from a screenplay by Kelly Cooper and J.T. Petty based on an original story he wrote alongside his wife, Ingrid Bisou, and served as a producer alongside Michael Clear under his Atomic Monster banner. That September, Juan officially revealed the title as Malignant with Bloody Disgusting, claiming the film would be more in line with a Giallo film. Bisou's fascination with medical anomalies, oh, anomalies led her to read about Edward uh, Mordecai, yeah, Mordecai, Mordecai? Mordecai. 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 Which inspired the Gabriel character. On October 24th, uh, 2019, Juan clarified that the film is not based on the graphic novel Malignant Man. Uh, Malignant Man. Malignant Man, sorry. Stating it's definitely not a superhero film. Malignant is an original thriller not based off of any existing uh, uh, IP. That's for sure. You got that right. In August 2019, Annabelle Wallace, George Young, and Jake Abel were cast in the film. Uh, the rest of the cast rounded out later on in September. 
the film wrapped. No, it started in September 2019, the 24th to be exact, when they started filming, and it concluded on December 8th of the same year. Obviously, they went back for reshoots because uh, McKenna Grace was added to the cast in March of 2020. So, um, so yeah, it was basically Warner Brothers saying, "Thank you for uh, thank you for giving us Aquaman in return." We'll let you do a film. Yep. Here's some of that Aqua money. $40 million <laughs> for this like crazy yeah. horror movie. Right, right, Literally right. Literally nobody else could probably get that money for. <laughs> some Aqua money. Uh, I mean, it's just like there's no bankable star in the movie. You know, like I recognized a few people, obviously, but there's no bankable star. $40 million. I, I think it's awesome that they, you know, gave it to him and let him make it. And, you know, you just come out with something awesome, you know. Alright, box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. This won't be hard at all. (laughs) So the film came out September 10th, uh, 2021. A little bit less than a month ago. It released to 3,485 screens, even though it ran simultaneously on HBO Max Day 1. It still opened uh, almost 3,500 screens. Opening weekend was $5.4 million, opening up at number 3. Ouch. Second weekend, $2.7 million. Number 5, it had an exactly 50% decline from week 1 to week 2. Total gross twenty nine point nine million. Actually, I read today that it went up to thirty point three million as of today, um, against a budget of forty million dollars. Now, before we go saying bomb, bomb, box office disaster, this, that, and third, I wouldn't say it's a disaster. Well, how much of this is going back into the budget and everything from the streaming? How much is HBO contributing, or maybe it's Warner Brothers or? Whoever's got their hands in the cookie jar and has money, who's giving it back for this movie, you know, streaming. There's got to be some sort of compensation. That's oh, how. Well, absolutely. That's what these yeah. films are, you know, box office. That's what we, that's why we're in the business of making movies to make money. So when you're taking that from people, you know, and just delivering your entire year long slate onto your streaming service it's it's gotta there's gotta be some sort of compensation absolutely for the films that are being taken you know from people and i could have the figure wrong but i thought i read that uh they estimated that like seven hundred fifty thousand homes streamed it the first weekend. i, I heard that, that too sort. but that's kind of it's strange because i thought hbo was like the one company who was like coy on releasing numbers or maybe that's netflix or hulu I thought it was HBO. I could no, be wrong. I think you're right. I I don't know how accurate that was, but you know they have to be getting uh, some kind of deal. I mean, I can't imagine they would just release it and they're not getting any kind of right. cut to those monthly right. subscribers. In the meantime, let's take a walk through the critics' corner and see what they all had to say about the film. <laughs>
Final out of reviews. Um, not that I... Uh, I don't know. It's currently got a Rotten Tomato score of 76% based on 136 reviews. I'm honestly surprised it's that high, really. Me too. This is the type of movie I think you're either going to love or hate. I don't think you're going to have too many people in the middle. Yeah, not a, lot, not a lot of people saying it was okay. Yeah. It was fine. Not like any stuff like that. No. Uh, Metacritic has a score of 51 out of 100 and a cinema score of C. Uh, let's see. Andrew Barker of Variety wrote, It's hard to say whether a film this bonkers works or not, but it's impossible not to admire both the craft and the extravagant bad taste behind its gopher-broke energy. Megan Navarro of Bloody Disgusting rated the film 3.5 out of 5 and said, It's silly, it's outrageous, and it's a blast. Uh, John Millican from Dread Central gave the film 4 out of 5 and said, It's the best horror film of the year. It might be. Uh, Meanwhile, Michael uh, Gingold of Rue Morgue described the film as having a what-the-fuck energy. Too often, it's hard to know whether Juan and company are kidding or not. Um, pretty sure he's kidding. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure the uh, joke's on you once they come back. Um, Mr. Madison, right. Biggest what takeaways. you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, so I'll start. Um, speaking of Zoe Bell, I put Zoe Bell really let herself go for this role. Um, in a sense, this movie feels like an idea that evolved during filming. The first act doesn't seem to fit with what the rest of the film offers. Uh... This film knows what it is. And my final note is the cinematography really gives the movie something different to, to look at instead of a paint-by-numbers horror film. The close track shots along with the overhead ceiling shot that we talked about, the dollhouse shot. Uh, it, 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 it's just its so good. It's different. It's unique. It's kind of what, what I sought after when I watched films like this. You know, If you're capable of it, you know, blow me away I, I i challenge all filmmakers always you know try something different uh, so did you have anything written down for our biggest takeaways no but i can talk for a second yeah um, sure go for I, it man like yours yeah i i just think it's awesome that um you know Juan, who's established in the genre you know he's done the conjuring movies which i'm a huge fan of and you know that's serious straight horror and you know he did it very well uh, I like a good ghost story. I think he actually tweeted when this movie was coming out. He's like, it's not related to Conjuring. It's not like the Conjuring. Don't go in with that mindset. And that's kind of... exactly. And that's kind of where I was when I was watching this movie. I thought it was going to be something maybe kind of similar just to the vague marketing and the way it was done. And it just completely blew me away. I, I commend him for doing something completely different. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think it's, like I said, I don't think there's too many directors out there that could convince the studio to give them this large of a budget to shoot this movie. 
you know, and it definitely, he put the money in on the cinematography and, um, you know, the effects. Like, you can definitely tell uh, the money is on screen because it looks a lot better and just more visually interesting mm-hmm. than a lot of other stuff. And uh, my other big takeaway is I like this movie, but I don't know if I could recommend it to a lot of people because it's really just made for us horror nerds. Like, I can't imagine just a normal uh you know like i can't imagine my wife just a normal general public adult coming into this and thinking wow that was great you know you don't think a, a casual film uh no you don't think a, you don't think a casual fan will just enjoy the bonkers the uh, the, the schlock possibly but i i think they might just I, come I, out I, I saying it's point. okay but i don't think anybody who really appreciates this movie is just going to be a general public person who doesn't have any knowledge about horror, you know, like, yeah, if I was like 12 at the time when I saw this, I would probably like it. I was like, Oh, it's crazy. You see some kills and nothing more, but I definitely wouldn't have the same affinity for it that I do now. Just, you know, growing up and watching so much horror that, you know, I really feel like this is we're the target demographic, you know, the people that grew up in the, uh, 80s and 90s and watched a ton of horror i mean this is definitely the movie for us and yet i mean i think a casual person could watch it. it's a quick sit even if though it's an hour 50 minutes it really goes by pretty quick it does yes yeah so i don't think anybody would have a problem with it but i think to really um you know appreciate it i think you have to be a horror fan and that's cool that he made a movie like that uh, you know, I just commend him for it. And James Wan is um, one of those guys I'm always interested to see. Like, I had no idea what this movie was, but I would have plunked money down to go see it, even if it wasn't on HBO. So, yeah, yeah. I commend him for it. It was awesome. I know I nitpicked it a lot throughout the um, review, uh, but I really did enjoy it, even though with all the stupid, silly stuff in the first act and all the things that didn't make sense, it didn't ruin it for me. It was still really enjoyable. And I had fun. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um I don't want to put this. You know, fuck, I'm not gonna say anything. Um <clears throat> Alright, Mulligan movement. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Alright, so I would just change the death of Todd. Um that whole opening first act, you know, it doesn't work for me once the, the reveal happens. The first death, the death of her husband, Todd, just doesn't work. Well, I thought his name was Derek. I don't know why I wrote Todd on there. Derek. Maybe Todd's the name of the actor who played him, but yeah, Derek. Sorry about that. Sorry for the confusion, audience. Derek. The death of Derek in the first act. It's Um, cool, man. It's like two in the morning. I get it. (laughs) No, no, no. But seriously, it's it's just... um, Once the... Like I said, the reveal happens, it it, it just... it, It kind of... That that whole sequence does it just rules it out. It doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't hold up with the rest of the film. We've already discussed this before, you know, and you know, I know you kind of like chalked it up to it is what it is, and you know, well that that's the true. That's the tr- that, that that may be the case. I would definitely go back and change that or rework it a little bit. Um, maybe take some things out. I would take definitely take that cushion shot out. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's mine. How about you? You got anything you would change? Yeah. I mean, 
other than the fucking fan that I keep talking about, <laughs> gets us get rid of that fan. But uh, no, pretty much the whole first act. I mean, it's entertaining to watch. Like when I was watching it, I didn't have a problem with it at first. But once right. you know what's going on, yeah, I definitely think I, you know, the the story evolved as it went on, <laughs> and they kind of had that first act. I really do think it does a little bit of a disservice, you know, because they foreshadow so many things pretty well in this movie and it pays off. But some of that first act stuff just with little tweaks, it would have been fine. But uh, yeah, pretty much that whole first part. All right. Um, All right. Finger licking good. All right. So for me, it's finger licking good. It's the Gabriel reveal, the prison sequence, the, the whole prison cell massacre. Slash Gabriel being revealed to the audience, like, look, this is what it is. It's actually a, a former killer tumor in the back of her head, you know, splitting out and, and creating a ruckus all because her husband slash ex-husband, wherever he is now, just damaged her. And because of that whole domestic incident at the beginning of the film, we get this. And um, I'm... I'm here for it all. Every bit of it. <laughs> that, that prison massacre sequence is awesome. So that's my favorite part of the film. How about you? Yeah, uh, mine's the same. I mean, I think that's undoubtedly the best I uh, figured. part I, of the movie. I figured we had the same answer. So. Yeah, I mean, like the way the double jointedness is, you know, it definitely made me twitch a little bit. Just the way the women's reaction is. It's just yeah, I'm not so good with body horror. So, you know, I mean, this is nothing compared to like... Candyman that came out earlier this year. Talk about body horror that I wasn't expecting coming. Holy shit. Um, we'll get to that one of these days. Uh, but yeah, I, exactly. The whole, it makes me kind of go, when that shit happens too. Like yeah. just the way the twist and the sound effects too that goes with it. It's just, uh, it was good. And uh, something. you can definitely tell, um, I don't remember the actress's uh, name that played, uh, uh, Madison, but uh, she's definitely all in on the parts of the performance. Like when uh, she's transforming into Gabriel and you see her face. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's definitely all in, whether it's good or bad. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but I think she um, does it pretty well on some of the overtop stuff. And I love the women's reactions. I love Zoe Bell just throwing chicks <laughs> into yeah. Gabriel. I love that little yeah. part. You know, that whole scene, yeah, is definitely um, the most the most fun part to me in the whole movie. It's definitely the highlight, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. So it's definitely a movie I would have no problem recommending to for like, especially a fan of, of a horror, a genre fan. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, it, it hands down would get a recommendation from me. Um, even... There's so much about it that, 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 you know, it's got that James Wan stamp. It's been a while since we've seen, I feel that we've seen like an original film from him. What was his last original IP? Was it Insidious? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Besides Conjuring, which was yeah, kind Conjuring, of, was Insidious, a true story anyway. So you got the Fast and the Furious. But and this was something different. Like this, this was not like a continuation of something. This was not based off of something. Like this was an original idea taken from him and his wife and co-writer and it was a chance and it worked. Um, I trust James Wan with, you know, whatever project he's handed 
Um, I trust that he will do a fair job. You know, he will do an honest job and uh, no bullshit. He'll want to seek out every idea he has or at least want to try it, you know, see what he has to offer. What's the least, what's, what do you got to lose? You know what I mean? And um, yeah, so I, I will always appreciate and respect, you know, a risk taker um, filmmaker. And that's clearly what James Wan is after watching this movie. Um, I'd like to remind everybody, a big budget film released by Warner Brothers across nearly 4,000 screens. Um, and it is the most absurd, craziest, in-your-face fucking roller coaster variety of a genre film you will see in the year 2021. So um, take that for what it's will. I mean, take that for what you will. And um, yeah, can't recommend this film enough. So yeah, I mean, I my takeaway is I just hope that uh, you know there's sequels. You know, they kind of leave it open ended uh for gabriel you know he's obviously trapped in her mind so he can come back at any point and then it has the little uh buzzing at the end where it could be him or it could not be but i think uh this would lend itself well now obviously uh with the box office i don't know if that's gonna happen i mean i'm hoping this will do well on a home video uh you know because i could definitely easily see this being a cult type movie I mean, this would be, if this was made back in the 80s, I could definitely see it getting an error release nowadays and getting a following, you know, so that's yep. absolutely this type of movie, so it might kill it on, um, you know, on on demand and uh, movies, because I would like to see more, you know, I, I just can't respect James Wan enough, you know, there's so many, everything's so samey and reboot and properties nowadays, yep. even with horror, so just the fact that they could make this with no name actors and just on an original idea. You know, I'd, like, I just applaud the dude. Like I said before, this movie knows what it is. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this episode is sponsored by Advil. For those left wandering around with a splitting headache, simply take two of these and call us in the morning. This is just a gag, and obviously not a real sponsor. Call off the lawyers, please. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval, and that will bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue to support the show, then please do so by leaving a five-star review and positive rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever or wherever accessible. It helps with the algorithm and helps us grow so more and more can enjoy the show. And while you're at it, check out the website of ours at podpage.com where you'll find our ever-growing collection of previous episodes and pick up some merch while you're at it from tpublic.com slash user slash film effect podcast. We have everything on there from t-shirts to tote bags to film, film, to phone cases, um, a lot of stuff I can't think of off the top of my head. Just there's a whole array of different items that uh you can get through uh various designs as well. So we will be back Friday to talk about one of my favorite personal no well, to talk about one of my personal favorite horror films ever, which also happens to be the film our Twitter audience voted on last month for a monthly poll. And it is the original 1978 classic Dawn of the Dead from the legendary George A. Romero. For years and years and years, this was my favorite. This was my favorite. This was my absolute 
favorite horror film. Mine too. Yeah. And then just last year, suddenly Return of the Living Dead took over that. But it does not matter. I still love this film to death. Cannot wait to talk about it. Actually, I can't wait to rewatch it. It's been a couple years. Yeah. But after that, I can't wait to talk about it and share my thoughts, ideas, theories, and other inside tidbits with you guys on the show. So yeah, until Friday, um, which, Corey, I should announce that you'll be back for, which I'm looking forward to doing. Yeah, I'm excited. Dawn of the Dead with you, brother. It's going to yeah. be fun. Um, so yeah, I, I, until then, um, you know what? Love, peace, and chicken grease. <laughs> this has been another edition of the Film Effect Podcast for myself and Corey Gang. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the rest of your day. And until next time, it's been fun. But now it is done. See ya. Bye, guys. <laughs>